having a charismatic moment. Amen. Back there, everybody's raising their hand. Um, but you'll find in Job chapter 3 just a, a, a struggle with, God, I thought you were like this. And you're not like that. And it's going to be eye-opening. But this chapter 2 is kind of cool. So, uh, what is God doing? So it's nice to actually, God, when God pulls back the curtains and shows you through the, through the scriptures, what's going on in the realm that you can't see. So, uh, chapter 2 is not really going to tell us a lot of new things about God. But mainly it's going to show you the purpose of Satan's attacks. One thing sticks out. And that is that God stands by and lets the devil work. That's what... You'll you'll never find Job saying, Where are you, devil? I just want to wring your neck. I just want to punch your lights out. He never does that. As a matter of fact, go to Job 13. Job chapter 13 and verse 24. Job 13, 24. Job says these words, he says, Wherefore, wherefore often is a why in your Bible, wherefore hidest thou thy face and holdest me for thine what? Why are you treating me like I'm your enemy? So who has he got the problem with? Not the devil. He's got the problem with God. Go to chapter 19 and verse 11. 19 and verse 11. He, God, hath also kindled his wrath Against me, and he counteth me unto him as one of his enemies. That's now, does God think Job is his enemy? No, but what does Job feel? He says, You're treating me like an enemy. One more, Job 30, verse 21. Job 30, verse 21. This is rough. Listen to him. Thou art become cruel to me. With thy strong hand, thou opposest thyself against me. So, from Job's viewpoint, everything that is happening is coming from whose hand? God's hand. And he says, it hurts. All right. So, God's going to show us in chapter 2 a little bit of what's going on. And Job is not going to see this. He doesn't see this until after it's all over, said and done. Now, um, let's uh, review chapter 1. It tells us about the character of God. Chapter Job chapter 1 is full of characteristics of God that Job is trying to emulate, that Job is trying to follow. He does not have the life of Jesus to follow, but he has the character of God to follow. So we learn about the character of God, but in chapter 1, we actually learn about the sovereignty of God. We actually, we learn about how, how God is in control in chapter 1. He's, he's uh, um, calling for um, Satan, and he'll call him again in a moment. And he's telling him what he can and cannot do. Those are the things that are missed by most people. When, when people come to the book of Job, they don't read chapter 2 very well. All they see is Job. And I'm trying to get you to see God, because it's the character of God that we trust. Can God lie to us? No, God cannot lie. So I can trust him. When, when, when the Bible says something, I can trust that God is not going to lie to me. So it's the character of God I'm trusting, not my circumstances, not my feelings, not the environment around me. So um, you, when, you, when you're trusting the fact that you lost your job, when you're trusting the fact that maybe your health 
takes a nosedive. When, when, uh, if, you're, if, you're, if you are responding to your heart or your eyes or your ears, what somebody says about you, if you're responding to that, then you're not trusting the Lord. So Job is a great illustration of struggling, like we all do, with I'm just going to believe God. Now, the view from above. All right. So Job here, if only he could have looked up and seen what we're going to see in chapter 2. If only he could have heard the conversation going on. It would have helped him. Would you agree? If he had heard God calling Satan, come here, boy. (laughs) And Satan coming, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. Uh, uh, What's up? And the Lord giving out to him and asking, where you been? Have you noticed my servant Job? This chapter shows God in control. No matter what happens, God has got a plan. God is at work. And the devil is only on a leash. And it's a wonderful thing if Job would have seen that, that what was going on, you would not have had chapter 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7, 8, 9, 10 written like it was. Job would have just sat back and said, I'm going to wait on the Lord. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? You know why we find it hard to wait on the Lord when we're going through a valley? Because we don't read Job chapter 2. Because we don't trust that there is a battle going on and there is a conversation going on in that battle that's about us and it's good and it's going to be the winner. So, the point is this, there would be no way, there would be no way to know what goes on in heaven or in any other realm other than God actually taking the time to tell us about it. I don't know what's going on in, in, uh, in God's presence. So God tells us. Uh, in Job chapter 2, let's read uh, verses 1 to 6, and let me show you the view from above. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? And still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand, Satan talking to God, talking to God you touch him. Touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thy hand, but save his life. Now in those six verses, you've just been given a glimpse into the fact that what's happening to Job is not just unfortunate accidents. It's not just trouble in his life that we all go through. No, there is a plan, there is an enemy, and there is a God who's managing the whole thing. Now, usually in our Bible, you don't see things like this. Uh, most of the most of the time, our Bible talks about the human heart, talks about how messed up we are, talks about how God works to redeem us. He doesn't spend a lot of time talking about things in heaven, but He did give us one book about it, didn't He? What's the book? Oh well, Book of Revelation. I mean, gave us a whole book about the future and about the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom in heaven. Gave us that. But the most of the rest of the Bible, God, there's a little dabble about angels here and 
uh, um, uh, things going on. There's a real unique one in, um, where is that? First Kings chapter 22, where um, uh, there are two kings, uh, Jehoshaphat and Asa, are, are sitting there, and they're, they're planning on going and, and going into battle together. And there's a, a, a prophet named Micaiah who's called to tell them, what should we do? And they're mocking him. They really didn't care to listen to the prophet because all the other prophets that said, go up, go up into battle. Anyway, Micaiah says, yes, you're going up, going up. And uh, Asa was so angry. I think it was Asa. Got so angry and said, uh, I told you he'll never, uh, he'll never uh, say anything good. He's just mocking us. And he says, I saw, and he describes this. Let me read it for you. Uh, the Lord, um, hear thou the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, all the host of heaven standing by him on the right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, who shall per- persuade, oh, it's Ahab, I said Ahaz. Ahab, who shall persuade Ahab that he may go f- up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said, unto the, uh, said on this manner, another said on that manner. And there came forth a spirit and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. And the Lord said unto him, Wherewith? And he said, I will go forth, and I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all the prophets. And he said, Thou shalt persuade him, and prevail also. Go forth and do so. Now therefore, behold, the Lord hath put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these thy prophets, and the Lord hath spoken evilly concerning thee. So Micaiah actually tells him, These prophets are all saying you should do thing, and they're all filled with the devil. And he gives... And God just gives you a glimpse on what's going on up in heaven. But um, uh, the view from above is amazing because God has super great authority. How powerful is the devil? Anybody want to take a guess? Do you know the devil has the power of death? Now, he doesn't have the authority of it. Thankfully, he has to ask permission to kill you. But you know, the Bible says that the devil is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour He's got great power. He's the second most powerful being in the universe. But God calls him and he comes. He is, he is under the power of God. Thank God. God asks Satan something and Satan has to tell him the truth. That's great power. That's good. So did you notice that when, when, when God's talking to Satan, that he actually asks him, did you notice? I know I asked you before, chapter one, but I'm asking you again. Did you notice my servant Job is still doing right, still holding to integrity? So, now, we come to verse 7 and 8 here in chapter 2, and you're now going to see God's silence, silent response to suffering. And this is what got me talking to the last couple of weeks about when God goes silent. Look at uh, verse 7. God's been talking to Job, I'm sorry, to, um, to Satan up there in the heavenlies, but verse 7 So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. He, Job, took him a potsherd to scrape himself withal, and he sat down among the the, um, ashes. I think this is the lowest blow. Now, in boxing, they have rules about where you can hit each other. It's kind of funny. You have two guys fighting each other, and they try to have rules about it. But anyway, they do. But anyway, they say no hitting below the belt. There are all kinds of rules that apply when these two guys are boxing. But when when, de- when the devil wants to uh, go after Job, he hits low, and he, hurt, he hits where it hurts. And if there's anything the devil knows, he knows what will hurt you. He knows where it will hurt you. So, 
Job is experiencing the lowest blow. Really, as far as Job's concerned and his wife, they think it's the final blow. Uh, if you had talked to him, if you had gotten him to talk to you, he would have just acknowledged absolute defeat. Because when he took that potsherd, when he took that broken piece of a, of a, of a clay pot, and he began to scrape his skin to be able to release the pus and to be able to scrape off the 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 um, uh, the dead skin and the the ooze and everything. When he began to do that, he sat down where he didn't go home. He didn't go to the hospital. He sat down on the the, the worst place. He sat down on ashes. And you know what? That ash heap was kind of a public rubbish spot where everybody came and dumped their ashes. Not their ashes, they dumped their trash and they would burn it and there's Job sitting there, public. How low does Job feel? And God's not speaking. God's not coming along and, you know, you have something Job didn't have. You know what you have? The presence of the Spirit of God. And if you'll quiet your spirit, you can know He's there. And He just lifts your heart, He'll carry you Job didn't have that. He was alone. But you know, um, that sad sight only got worse. Because let's look at the emotional view of God. Look at verse 9. Then said his what? What are the two words that Genesis describes? Actually, Genesis chapter 1 describes God's purpose for a wife. The general purpose is to be a what? A help, meat for him, feeding him, uh, coming alongside him, carrying him when he can't walk. You think you can't carry your husband, but you can. And But she comes along and it says there, his wife said unto him, dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. But he said unto her, thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this did not Job sin with his lips. You see, Satan was not through with demolishing Job. He now uses his wife to cut and to hurt Job more deep. You see, Job and his wife were grieving. You can't, you can't put a label on it. There's no word that would describe the depth of grief that Job is feeling. But can you not imagine? His wife is feeling it too. She just feels it differently. She's expressing it differently. Job is staying basically quiet. He's trying to praise the Lord. He's trying to keep from from giving up. But they're both grieving. But she's allowing her grief to guide her. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? That's very bad. You know, when you're sad and you make decisions, when you're angry and you make decisions, you'll regret them as a Christian. Uh, a Christian who makes decisions in the valley will never reach the next mountaintop. You've got to be careful. You've got to keep your eyes and make decisions when God's clear in your life. She allowed grief to guide her instead of her trust in God. And um, Job, and I, and I got to thinking about this, Job, this is about Job, remember? This is the only time she's mentioned until chapter 41. 
So Job's not only carrying all of the grief of the loss of his family, his kids, the loss of, of everything. You've got to think about what he's lost. Do you know he lost his reputation? From this point on, people are going to look at him going, I knew there was something about that guy. They're going to look at Job going, did you hear about Job? Yeah, he had it coming. He's lost his reputation. He's lost his good name. He's lost absolutely everything you can ever own in this world. And the truth is, he's not only carrying that grief, but now he's carrying his wife's grief. He's doing it alone. You know, I have to say, thank God for men who have broad shoulders who will carry grief and won't quit. Amen. God give us some men who, when the wife quits, when the wife says, I don't want to serve God, I don't want to love God, I hate God, I want to die. And the husband says, Lord, keep us going. Lord, love through us. Bless us, use us anyway. Because in the end, this is just grief and God will get you through it. So he's carrying this thing in the emotional view of God. Where to, 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 to Job's wife, what does God look like? Looks like he's gone. Looks like he's just just evil. And that's emotion speaking. But it gets worse. (laughs) Job's three friends, verse 11. Now, when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that was come upon them, they came every one from his own place. Eliphaz, the Temanite, and Bildad, the Shuhite. That's the shortest guy in the Bible. Bildad, the Shuhite. Okay. And Zophar, the Namathite. For they had made an appointment together to come to mourn with him and to comfort him. And when they lifted him, when they lifted up their eyes afar off and knew him not, they lifted up their voice and wept and they rent everyone his mantle and they sprinkled dust upon their heads toward heaven. So they sat down with him upon the ground seven days and seven nights and none spake a word unto him for they saw that his grief was very great. Now, the truth is, news travels fast, and bad news travels very fast, all right? Job's three friends heard of all this evil that had come upon him. Everybody had heard of the loss of massive wealth, the loss of children, the loss of Job's health. Evidently, Job was pretty important. He was so well-known, he was a news item for hundreds of miles. So these three friends travel far to comfort Job. And that's not a bad thing. It's nice when somebody says, how you doing? Comes and spends some time just listening to you. Eliphaz, and I did a lot of research on these guys. There's some cool things. Eliphaz comes from a, a city nearby in, in Edom. Bildad comes a little further. He's, he's actually a descendant of Abraham, one of Abraham's concubines. And Zophar, the name of the fight, they really don't know much about him, but this is, this is the point. Job is so important, his friends are probably kings. They're not just Joe Soaps who work down at the corner shop making sandwiches. These guys are bigwigs. They have been around the block. They, they know things, and when they come, it is a big deal. Seven days they spend silently grieving with Job. Is that a good thing or a bad thing, just to keep your mouth shut when somebody's hurting? It's a good thing. Just, you don't have to say anything. If they don't want to talk, don't try and talk. 
Because, folks, good friends are invaluable. Go to Acts chapter 27. Acts chapter 27. Show you something in the New Testament I never knew. I've noticed it, but I never really paid close attention to it. Acts chapter 27. There's a wonderful word in our Bible. <clears throat> in Acts chapter 27, Paul's under arrest. And he's under the custody of a Roman centurion named Julius. And this unsaved, pagan Roman soldier noticed a need of Paul. And look at chapter 27, verse 3. And the next day, we touched at Sidon, and Julius courteously, kindly entreated Paul and gave him liberty to go unto his what? To refresh himself. I never noticed that word refresh really like I did as I saw this. We live in a world that sometimes is pretty cold, kind of callous, kind of cruel. It's really a blessing to have friends you can go to when you're weary and just they just refresh you. In Paul's epistles, he actually mentions a lot of times with friends that he is refreshed by. Go to Romans chapter 15. Romans 15 in verse 30. Romans 15, 30. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit that ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from them. He was in jail. That do not believe in Judea and that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints. That I may pray for me, that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God and may with you be He says, I yearn to be there because you guys encourage me. I want to be there because I know I'll be refreshed by you. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians 16. 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 17. I am glad of the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, for the which was lacking on your part. They have supplied. For they have, here's that word again, refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, acknowledge them that are such. You ought to note those people who just bless you. Second Timothy chapter 1. Second Timothy chapter 1. Second Timothy chapter 1 and verse 16. And Paul is writing about a, a slave. The Lord have mercy upon the house of Onesiphorus, for he oft, what's the word? Just, just made me, enabled me to go a little further. He oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain, but when he was in, in Rome, he sought me out very diligently, and what the next three words say? And found me. That is precious. When somebody finds out, when somebody is... Say you're on a, on a Saturday morning and you just get up and you start praying. And you start praying for some people. You've got your prayer list. You pray for them. And then the Lord puts somebody on your heart. And you go, I wonder how they're doing. And then you try to phone them and you can't get a hold of them. So you get in the car and you go to the house and they're not there. You start to get worried. And you start to say, Lord, show me where they are. I want to find out if they're okay. 
and you search them out and you find them and you find out, man, they needed you right then. Wouldn't that be something? That's what Christianity is about. We're sensitive to, Lord, you laid somebody on my heart. I want to search them out. I want to bless them. I want to refresh them because we need them. Philippians, go to the right. Philippians, Philemon, sorry. Philemon, just before Hebrews. Philemon, chapter 1 and verse 20. Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee. He's actually saying, would you please encourage me in the Lord? Refresh my bowels. Refresh that part of me that, that hurts and grieves. Refresh my bowels in the Lord. I have to say I'm grateful for some friends who refresh my life. Do you have any? You know, there's just... there's. When you die, if you can... You'll probably be able to count the number of friends in your life that have stuck with you on one hand. But thank God you had those five. But let me turn it around and say, what are you doing to be a friend like that? What are you doing to refresh other believers? You say, well, Josiah's not my friend. Get over it. Paul, I don't know Paul. Get to know him. Refresh one another. That is priceless. Now, the, the reality is this. These three friends will actually end up driving Job further down by their wrong views of God and their wrong views of the Christian life. There are some friends you will wish would stay away. But as I'll point out in another lesson, sometimes God doesn't give you the best of friends. He expects you to just sit with the ones God gives you. And they may be a thorn in the side, but they're still a gift from God. I can't explain it all. I just want to encourage you that God knows what he's doing. Now, <clears throat> let me ask you this. Why, who do you think sent Job's friends? I kind of just hinted at it. But who do you think sent Job's friend? It'd be easy to say the devil, amen? The devil sent... The um, uh, the whirlwind that killed off all of his kids. The devil sent um, the uh, uh, the Chaldeans to come in and take away all of his cattle. The devil sent the boils from top to bottom. Certainly, the devil sent ooh those friends, right? No, take your Bible. Go to Second Corinthians, chapter twelve. Second Corinthians, chapter twelve. <clears throat> Chapter 7 and verse 8. I sorry, chapter 12 in verse 7 and 8. 2 <clears throat> Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 and verse 8. And lest I should be exalted above measure with pride through the abundance of the revelations. Job was getting lots of revelations. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, He's the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. And for this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. So I got, I got a question for you. Is Job interested in you getting proud? I'm sorry, is, is the devil, I'm not connecting all things, is the devil interested in you getting proud? Yes. And he'll give you success, he'll give you crowds, He'll give you money. He'll give you attention. He will do anything so that you can squeeze God out of your heart and have pride take over. So here comes, verse 7 says, Lest I be exalted with pride, somebody gave me a thorn. I wonder who that was. God. 
So even the troublesome friends you've got, even the troublesome family you've got, the thing that the people that seem to hurt you when you're around them, be careful that you will reject them on the basis that surely God didn't give them to you. God knows what he's doing when he humbles us. Let me go on. There are six things that we learn about God in chapter 2. Number one, God wants us to know there's more going on than just our problems and our troubles. He wrote a whole chapter, and he wrote, writes more later. He writes to let us know when you are finding yourself on an ash heap, there's more going on than just your health problem. Secondly, God directs Satan's attention at those who need to be either exposed, and God will expose frauds, or strengthened. Job already had a right relationship with God. Job knew, when I come forth, I shall come forth as what? Gold. God's going to purify this this, this character of mine, this integrity of mine. So, you now, from chapter 2, you learn that God will direct Satan's work like a fire, like heat, on what needs to be directed. And if the Lord allows the devil take you on, he's either trying to expose you for the fraud you are, or trying to make you stronger. You don't like that any more than I do. But that's the work of every trial in our life. Thirdly, God allows Satan's attacks on his people. We have all the whys. God, why would you do this? Why would you allow this? But that's not the question. The question is, how am I to respond? How should I respond? We'll talk about that. But the truth is, God allows Satan's attacks. Fourth, God keeps Satan on a leash. Amen. He will only allow Satan to go so far as we read there in Job chapter 2. He says, you can touch his flesh, just don't touch his life. So there's a limit. Every time God puts him on a limit. And thank God. Number five, here's a great truth. Satan can kill a believer. You say, I'm saved. Satan can't touch me. You're stupid. Because all you need to do is is be a rebel and do your own thing and you're back under Satan's dominion. And Satan, if, if, if God sees that there's not going to be any return, if God sees that your testimony is going to be bad for someone else, God can say, you got him. Because the devil does, the devil's not a nibbler. He's a devourer. He is the power of death. He just doesn't have the authority of it. Amen. So, you better just, if you're alive today, it's because God doesn't want you dead yet. The devil does. What does John 10.10 say? The thief cometh not before to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Who's the thief? That's Satan. And he can do it to the believer. Don't think that, well, I'm, I'm above Satan's attacks. You're in the middle of it, especially now that you're saved. And number six. God never gives Job a hint throughout all this as to what is going on and why. God never says, Job, trust me. Job, everything's going to be okay. Job doesn't have a page of the Bible. He doesn't have a page of Scripture. He doesn't have a pastor to come by and put his hand around him and says, Job, let me read from John chapter 14. Let me encourage you. All Job has is his integrity and what he thinks he understands about God. And God says, I can't tell you why I'm doing what I do. So few things there, tough, tough things here. Um, 
Last point. Just because we can start to understand a few things about God does not mean that we can or will understand fully, not until heaven. One final scripture, Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15 and verse 18. <clears throat> Acts fifteen eighteen. Known unto God, not unto us. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. So who knows what he's doing? God does. And if somebody comes along and says, I know what God's doing in your life. That probably is not true. I just know God's doing. All right. Any questions? I don't normally ask, but any questions about chapter 2, in case you've been thinking, going, wow, I wish I could ask that question. Should have said at the beginning you can ask that question. Any questions? Is there a spiritual battle going on right now, right on top of Bill? You better believe it. He's all happy. He's a blessing to be around. But you have no idea what the devil's throwing at him. That's why we pray for one another. Amen. Shouldn't we take entering into that spiritual realm serious? Uh, Paul says, put on the whole armor of God every day because there is a spiritual battle going on and the devil goes at the heart, he goes at the head. Boy, he... He attacks the foundation, attacks the Bible. All you have to do is watch the news and all of the opinions and everything destroying every moral. And it sinks your heart. That's the devil. Father, I ask you as we bow in prayer that we not forget that even though we're in this kingdom, they're in this world, there's another one that's better. And it's it's going just fine. There's no, there's no warfare there. The victory's already been won. It's just here right now that we struggle. And we're often like Job, where we have no idea why you've humbled us and brought us so low. When you do that, I pray we remember, you know what, I've got something Job didn't have. I've got the last chapter. As a matter of fact, I have every chapter. I can, I can trust that as you give me a glimpse of what's going on from your view, I can trust you more than ever. I can trust that when I'm hurting like I've never hurt before, that you don't just understand, but you are working out a perfect plan. I just got to stay in the middle of it and let you pick up the pieces and make something beautiful. So, Lord Jesus, I ask you, God, to bless our, our understanding of the spiritual war. It goes on all the time, even while we're asleep. Lord, may we be very sensitive to how quickly we, we ignore the spiritual element. And may we rush to the foot of the cross and say, God, help me, help me, help me to fight on the right side. With the right heart, in Jesus' name, amen.